This is The Guardian. Hi, Pod fans. Max here. Uh, just to say that uh, Jonathan Liu forgot to press record, so he will be in Zoom quality until an excellent answer about Chelsea's transfer window plans, uh, which you'll hear about 15 minutes into part three. So look out for that. Until then, um, uh, the rest of us all sound marvellous. And what Johnny says is fascinating and brilliant. Enjoy the pod. Hello and welcome to Guardian Football Weekly. Is it cloppage time, Yergi time, cloppy seconds or just a ref finally playing the right amount of added time after a team wastes their own time? Either way, a pretty sickening way for Newcastle to lose and a lovely moment for Fabio Carvalho. Manchester City have a good new striker, a brace for Julian Alvarez in a 6-0 walloping of Nottingham Forest. Arsenal still at 100%. I imagine those losers celebrated again after beating out of sorts Aston Villa. A return to forget for Emmy Martinez, a pod to remember for Jordan Jackson. Garrett Bryan. Spurs just about hold on to a point at West Ham and the Gary O'Neill bounce gets Bournemouth a goalless draw at home to won't ever score again Wolverhampton Wanderers. We're live in the Jazz Bar as Ewan Murray looks forward to the old firm and both sides' chances in the Champions League and it's transfer deadline day. Can I face repeating my Graham Doran's anecdote? All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Johnny Liu, hello. Hi. Hello, Jordan Jarrett Bryan. Morning, pal. And hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max Rocha. Okay, let's start at Anfield then. Liverpool 2, Newcastle 1. Uh, Fabio Carvalho's last-minute winner with the clock on 97 minutes and 10 seconds or thereabouts. And the ref had said a minimum of five minutes uh, added time. Uh, what a moment for the lad. It sparked like a mass confrontation between the dugouts. Uh, not quite as exciting as last-minute winners in Liverpool-Newcastle games from the 90s. But still, Barry, uh, an entertaining end to that football match. Yeah, and I suppose the key um, word you use there is uh, minimum added time of five minutes was recommended. But it went into, we had an extra three in which Liverpool scored and Newcastle fans are outraged by this. But the fact of the matter is they um, were time-wasting for England at Anfield last night, faking injuries, tactical fouls, kicking the ball away. Nick Pope put on a, a masterclass of time wasting, something he was excellent at at Burnley, one of his one of his major attributes. And if you want to do that, fine, go for it. But don't complain if the ref takes it into account when deciding when to to blow the final whistle. And and seeing the outrage of Newcastle fans, I'm reminded of the many hundreds and possibly thousands of them who, over the course of the last nine months have sent me that Kylian Mbappe cry more gif on Twitter <laughs> and uh, well you know consider it sent back your way <laughs> um, do you think Liverpool deserved it Johnny? It's an interesting one I d- d- deserve is, is it I mean they had what uh, 20, 23 shots they had you know, some pretty decent sites of goal um, and yet they did kind of look pretty incontinent uh, for a lot of it the same slow, turgid, conservative build-up that kind of epitomizes Liverpool when they're not clicking, when things aren't, aren't really going well for them. Clearly, the the, the winning goal itself, it, it feels like it could be a transformative moment. It feels like one of those things that can galvanise the season. And Klopp said, you know, they'll, they'll remember this for many years. But um, 
I, I, I still see kind of too many too many issues in there, particularly in midfield and and with the injuries that they've had for them to take too much optimism from it. Um, they still they still don't look like a team to me that is going to challenge for the title. And um, yeah, despite beating Bournemouth nine nil, you know they can take momentum from it, but I don't think they can take a, a huge amount of footballing confidence. Jordan. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. I think um, I'm interested to see if Nunez comes back into that team because I reckon Klopp would have been raging at that red card and having you know one of his, his main signing out for these three games. I wonder if he brings him back into this team, having you know side now won two games, one nine nil and one in dramatic fashion in the 98th minute. Um, I, I, I agree with Johnny. I, I don't see them being title contenders long term. I just think there's too much with that team. It was floated pre-season that... Uh, you know, playing every single game last year at the intensity they play may take its toll on this team. And I, I fear that, that that may be the case. I think they'll be in the in the top four, no problem. But I think really pushing the City team is going to be is going to be a big ask. And they're kind of just hanging on. They're at that five point gap whereby they're not out of the title race, but six, seven, eight points even at this stage. Um, I, I, I think they they will struggle to to rule them in this time. So I, I don't think it's a Liverpool team that looks like they're all on the same page and, and looking like they're going to be the title contenders. Um, but I think they just about shaded the game and served the three points, yes. What did you make of Mr. Isaac, Alexander Isaac, Barry? I was hugely impressed. He got straight into the team after uh, securing a work permit yesterday afternoon. I think that issue of work permits is possibly something we need to think or talk about at some point. Another benefit of the sunny uplands of Brexit. Um, but he, he scored one excellent goal set up by a lovely weighted pass from Sean Longstaff who I think has been the subject of I don't know if it's ridicule but Newcastle fans don't seem that keen on him Uh, and he's a player you wouldn't have expected to be lining up for Newcastle this season but needs must because Gimaraes is injured Um, and so is John Joe Shelby and then he was very unlucky for the the second goal that was disallowed for offside, there was a hair's breath in it, and that has also outraged um, Newcastle fans, some of whom do genuinely think there's a conspiracy to stop them breaking into the top six. They will at some point break into the top six, and if I was a Newcastle fan, I would be annoyed that that goal was disallowed, and of course tribalism dictates I would be annoyed by the amount of stoppage time played, but they can take heart from that performance and their performance against Manchester City because Eddie Howe hasn't done well. He has done very well since taking over, but he hasn't done well against teams in the big six. I think he's only beaten one in nine or ten attempts, but he's drawn against two already this season. So, um, both away from home, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, I think on the Isaac thing, Max, as well, I wonder if we're back now to the, the mid-90s era where there was the plethora of top strikers spread across the league. I was thinking about it last mm. night. It's not just your Haaland's and your Nunez's and your Ronaldo's and your Kane's, your Son, Jesus, but you've also got Callum Wilson is a fabulous striker, just can't stay fit. I'm a really big fan of Ivan Tony. Isaac looks like he could be he could be a guy that could really rip up this league and score 15 goals minimum. There's a there's a nice spread of t- really good strikers that go from very good to Mitrovic. Yeah, there's there's some. I think we've got a nice spread of strikers across the league again that reminds me of the kind of Fowler, Cole, Ferdinand, Sheringham era um, of, of of the mid 90s. Do, do you think do you think Johnny that that like the target man type 
player is back. I mean, it, we will get on to Haaland, of course, who's completely ridiculous. But just well, the idea that, you know, football goes in cycles and tactically it, it changes. And I wonder if there is now a space, there seems to be a space for the big lad. Yeah, I, I, my theory is that as the gap between the best teams and the not so best teams grows, you are going to see increasingly uh, a lot of games where good teams are playing against deep set defences who aren't going to be drawn out. And, and for for a few years, what what Guardiola and, and, and Klopp in particular tried to do was, you know, you would try you would try and work the defence around. You would try and lure them out with 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 movement. And you wouldn't necessarily have that target man because you were trying to you were trying to draw them out and and work them around. And I think teams teams have maybe got a little bit smarter, uh, or they, they they've adapted over time. And they you know they said if if you just hold your position, if if you, if you can protect those central areas, it's good. It, it's harder for those sorts of sides to hurt you. And there just comes a point where you need somebody to just win a like a one on one header in in the box or you need someone to to feast on a loose ball and i think that that's one of the main trends that that we're seeing at the very top teams that you need someone who can do that not necessarily as your as your number one option but you, you certainly need someone who can, who can do that in tight games against teams who are who are putting 11 men behind the ball I mean, it seems like a sensible time to move on to manchester city 6 nottingham forest Nil. I mean, it's already a challenge to say something new about Erling Braut Haaland, and we're only four weeks into the season. I mean, Lord <laughs> knows what we'll what we'll do in April. Uh, nine goals in five games after that second hat trick in two games. Uh, a new Premier League record surpassing Mickey Quinn. It's nice to hear Mickey Quinn just being chatted <laughs> talked about, isn't it? <laughs> For a while, uh, and Sergio Aguero. Yes, Baz. Well, well, we 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 know Mickey from um, his talk sport days. We know him quite well, and he will be devastated that his record is gone <laughs> he was so proud of that record so proud and i would say he is heartbroken this morning but it's nice to see, it must be nice for him all the same to to see his name up in lights just under erling yeah. harland and if you're going to lose it you might as well lose it to erling harland i mean so many questions on him chris says how many w- more weeks do we need to see of harland to assess his readiness to play in the premier league uh, batch says based on his goal scoring ratio to date by the end of the season, Erling Haaland is set to score 68 goals. Will this be a disappointment? Um, interesting question from Lion Hand Solo. A few others have made this point, Jordan. You know, far from enhancing the Premier League, has he destroyed it? Second hat-trick already and the title race is over. Well, first of all, I think you'll, enjoy, uh, you'll break, make another record this weekend when he smashes Aston Villa and gets a hat-trick there, making it three hat-tricks in a row. So I'll take a lot of fun with that. But I think that the, the project really for most defenders and managers this season will be how do we stop Haaland and City? Because I think that, that that's going to be he, he's that good, he's almost a project within himself and working out how to stop him from getting the ball, getting the aerial, you know, having an aerial threat, getting the ball to ground, getting the ball in behind um, I, I believe that will be the, 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 the job um, of, of managers now, not only how do you stop City from winning this game but how do you stop Haaland from having a, a, an out-and-out game in itself, I don't think he's killing the league I think for everybody else to up their levels and work out how to how to prevent this freak of nature if you like, from, from causing you know, continuous havoc But presumably, if you manage to stop him it will take some players Johnny and that may open the door to other players that Manchester City also have Exactly. I mean, if, if you look at that, that first goal against Forest, Forest pretty much do everything that a, a team should do to try and to try and stop a, 
you know, City scoring against you traditionally. They've sat deep, they've forced City wide, they've forced it to work it round, and then an innocuous, an innocuous cross comes into the area. And, and most times against most teams, you would back your, your centre-halves to deal with that. You know, one-on-one, header coming into your box, you just clear your lines. And what Ireland does to Joe Worrell is just... And Joe Worrell is a big lad, right? You know, he is a big guy. He's, he's seen some things, man. And Ireland just, just leaves him out of the way, almost like it uses him as a as an armchair, and and suddenly Worrell is in this kind of this world of of, of weights and, and pulleys that that he's he's just he's slowly he's been sucked into the the sunken place, and he can't do anything. That, that, that's what that's what you can do. That's why City is so dangerous, um, because teams that have defended a certain way against them can no longer defend that way because you can't leave Haaland one on one against anyone. I was thinking about this last night after his first goal where he monstered Joe Worrell. And, you know, they it, it was a constant cliche about Teddy Sheringham that he had an extra yard in his head to make up for his lack of pace. But Haaland has more pace than most and seems to have an extra two yards in his head as well, <laughs> which just makes him almost impossible to defend against. John? So I was going to say that and the scary thing is he gets a month off in, in, in December as well, he's not going to the World Cup. It's <laughs> a very good point. Um, we had some uh, uh, other Haaland-based questions. Rob says, best on his Octo-Champ record, um, for those out of the UK, Johnny Lou won the quiz show Countdown, the words and numbers-based countdown, eight times in a row, which is the most you can do it before you have to uh, just retire. How many consecutive hat-tricks does Johnny believe Haaland should be allowed to uh, score before being stopped from competing? Yeah, I, I wonder if he if he keeps on claiming match balls, whether the, the Premier League will eventually have a shortage. <laughs> of football. Because, hang on, we're, we're about to kick off. Where's the ball? Well, I'm afraid they're all in our house. Um, Could someone liberate them, please? Yeah, you, you just opened the front door of his house again. <laughs> An avalanche of football. <laughs> Bounce down the driveway. <laughs> Steve, I mean, Steve Cooper was, uh, was was extremely upset at Richarlison taking the piss um, for Spurs on Sunday. I mean, bringing on Kevin De Bruyne at five nil. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want any of my. Uh, I wouldn't want any of my staff doing that. I, I said, it's disrespectful to the game. <laughs> I did like this from TDJ going. Curious enough, Steve Cooper will get sacked when he inevitably complains about the lack of backing from the board following this drubbing <laughs> from City. <laughs> But look, we gave City the title this time last season, or I mean, a few weeks into the season. We just said it was theirs. They were so far ahead. They went on a bad run. Liverpool almost chased them down. We we don't need to be hasty, or 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 Jordan. Do you think we we can be hasty? Like like if Liverpool aren't going to compete, we're going to touch on Arsenal and Spurs in a minute. Who really is there? Who's got the depth and the staying power to to stick with them? Well, I was racking my brain pre-season, Matt, to try and think of a reason why City wouldn't win the league. And I couldn't come up with many reasons. I mean, if they get half their squad injured, some Leicester City-type season happens again, I can't think of many reasons. This is before a ball was kicked as to why they won't win the title this year. And five games in, I've got even less reasons to kind of, uh, you know, offer as to why they won't win the title. You're looking for some kind of mad implosion. Liverpool, as you mentioned, their biggest biggest rivals of the last couple of years. They're not going to challenge them all the way, I don't think. Arsenal, we'll get to my mob in a bit. Over the course of the season, nah, I'm not so sure. So, no, I, I don't. I, I think they will win the league. I think they'll win it quite comfortably now as well. The World Cup is um, the X factor there. I mean, they lose pretty much their whole team except Harlan. True, true. 
True. Liverpool, I think, get off a little bit, a little bit easier if they're still in touch. Maybe that's a factor. Possibly. Although City could just play Haaland mm. for a few games and probably be all right, couldn't they? Could we, could we have a quick word, actually, for Julian Alvarez, who I sort of predicted might be one of the signings of the, the season. He was outstanding last night, yeah. but his performance has obviously been completely overshadowed by that of the big man. I'm sure he doesn't mind, but tip of the hat to him. He, he was brilliant. Yeah, it's good for City to have some strength and depth, yeah. isn't it? Helps the uh, helps helps the league along. Right, that'll do for part one. Part two, we'll begin with the leaders Arsenal against out of sorts Aston Villa. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Arsenal 2, Villa 1. Then Joe says, when does Jordan think Arsenal will win the league by five wins out of five? They probably celebrated too much again, <laughs> Jordan. Um, from the highlights of this game, Jordan, it just looked like a goal-mouth scramble in Villa's penalty area, like for 90 minutes. We, we battered them. Arsenal pretty much battered uh, Aston Villa for, for yeah most of the game. One of the biggest concerns for me in terms of the top four pursuit is Arsenal not killing off games. Their, their ratio of dominance to goals scored isn't good. We dominate against Leicester, should have scored more. Dominate against Fulham, should have scored more. And same in this game as well. And I think that's something that we, we've been getting away with to some degree, but may not over the course of the season. So it, it, we were the better team by, by, by a mile. Um, I hope you give me some time at the end to talk about Aston Villa because I've got a few things I want to say about them. But on, on, on Arsenal themselves, um, five out of five, that's a, that's a brilliant start. People talk about, oh, the usual kind of caveat of it's only early, it's only five games in, they've only played so-and-so teams, but it's five out of five and most teams don't win their first five games of the season. Um, I think Arteta deserves a bit of credit for what he's done with Xhaka. Um, I believe the Leopard never changed its spots and I think there will be a red card or a penalty conceded at some point from Xhaka, but what he's done in this new box-to-box role is ensure that when he does cock up, it's in their half or it's in their penalty box rather than ours. I think that's a something that I think he deserves a little bit of credit for as well. Um, and Saka wants to mention too as well, because the fan base I mentioned in Saka saying he's not been playing really well. He's not, you know, he's not the same. He's not as good as last year. And I disagree because what I think is happening is that he's playing well. It's the, the difference now is that he's not the only one playing well. There's no responsibility on him right. to win every game for Arsenal. Jesus is doing his thing. Xhaka's playing better. Um, Jinjenko's had an impact as well. So I think whereas what's happened with, with Saka is what should have been happening with the likes of Jack Wilshire, which is playing in a team where you're not expected to play eight or nine out of ten every single game. He can develop, play well, go under the radar and still perform well whilst others, more senior players, are the ones carrying the burden of winning games. So I think the fan base needs to be a, bit, a little bit more patient with Saka and I think he'll have an impact in the second half of the season. But yeah, great start from Arsenal. Old Trafford on, on, on the weekend, I, I think a, a win is a great result. Obviously, a point, I'll take that right now and just keep the, the momentum going on. But I'm happy days right now, happy days. Yeah, they were so dominant, Johnny. But you sort of felt if Emi Martinez had been as good as he kind of has been, they might actually not have won this game. Yeah, I actually, I, I give him a, not, a, not a pass, but I, I, I have a little bit of sympathy with him for the first goal because that, that cross takes a, I don't yeah, know who fair, it takes a deflection off, takes a wicked deflection off and, you know, you're you're in the lap of the gods there. Where does that where where does that loose ball go? I mean, do we talk about Villa? I mean, oh yes. I think I mean the, 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 this, this is not an original point, but lots of people have pointed out that Gerard has a manager in what is this? His fifth season as senior manager doesn't appear to have a distinct footballing identity, and that's not that's not a problem as such. You know, lots of 
lots of great managers have have made a virtue out of pragmatism. The, the trouble is that you are kind of inextricably tied to results in a way that, for example, Graham Potter is in. Or, or Steve Cooperism, because you know that they, they have a method. And when things are when things are going badly, you know, you know, this is what we're trying to do. This is this, and this is what we go back to. These are the principles that that are going to see us through. It, now, with with Gerard, it's, it's a little bit like like Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse. Now, I, I don't I don't see any method at all, sir. But Leon Bailey is out of the team, and and then he's back in the team. Coutinho is in the team, he's out of the team. Tyrone Mings is is out, and he's, and then he's back in. So there's no consistency of selection. There's no real consistency of, of tactics or any kind of discernible style. And again, you know, I reiterate that is fine. But when results aren't going well, players are going to look around and go, "So what are we? How do we get out of this?" And whether Gerard, you know, the, the big test for Gerard now is whether he is experienced enough and and I guess intuitive enough as a manager to not not only work out what needs to be done, but communicate what needs to be done in a way that is going to unite a dressing room that looks actually fairly disparate at the moment. Barry, I, I, I actually thought that the changes he made looked like sensible ones, even if it, he didn't get a result. I thought, you know, Ings and Watkins wasn't working um, and I think Coutinho hadn't been playing well. But as Johnny says, you've got to eventually get something out of a game, haven't you? Well, he has, appears to have no idea whatsoever what his best starting eleven is, if everyone's fit. The impression I get is the fans don't like him. They consider him aloof. I don't think they appreciated his treatment of Tyrone Mings at the start of the season. Now, I don't know what happened there, but there seems to have been some sort of falling out. And there's a a notion that his former assistant, Michael Beale, who's now managing QPR, was the brains of that particular operation and that Gerrard's a bit lost without him. He's made some high-profile signings that haven't failed, but they haven't particularly worked out either. And will he be given time? I think Christian Perslow, the Aston Villa chief exec, who has previously worked at Liverpool, is heavily invested in him, so that might work in his favour. But, uh, you know, Man City next up, so should be fine. (laughs) (laughs) John? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 if I was an Aston Villa fan, and and you know, thank God I'm not, I'd be concerned. And I, I know you have to caveat everything, like I said, with it's early. But to the point that Barry just makes there about the, the you know, Perslow and and Gerard, I'd be concerned if I was a Villa fan because I think that they're they're in trouble because I think they will stick with Gerard longer than they probably should. I think he'll give him more time than he probably should get, and I think that ultimately of the season will leave them in a. In a, in a trickier situation come the second half of the season. I think they've got a really good team there and I, I think they're massively under, under, underperforming. Um, my concern about Gerard and the fanfare of having a name like him, a Villa, um, and the no doubt passionate team talks that he was offering when he first got there was all well and good. But again, as Barry alluded to, the, the, the kind of tactical acumen of how good he actually is it was something I was always a bit, a bit concerned about and, and, and kind of questioned. So... Villa fans, for me, should be concerned because they've got a very, very good team there. Their captain, John McGinn, is someone that I think is massively overrated. I know everyone loves him. I think he's a good Premier League player. I don't think he's as good as everyone makes him out to be. Do you know what I mean? But they, they, they do have some really good players there. And I think that he has... He, he doesn't really have an excuse. He's been backed. He has been backed. And I think that by sticking with him longer than they should, I think will ultimately keep them in that bottom five for most of the season. Um, Kevin says, after Barry said... 
Douglas Luiz should not waste those kind of goals <laughs> from corner kicks for lesser games. Was tonight's game sufficiently important enough for it to be used? Uh, it was, but it's it's a waste again because um, <laughs> they lost. And he, he'll Fair surely enough. not get away with it a third time. <laughs> but um, Ian says, I really enjoyed the West Ham Spurs game. Hammers starting to hit our straps. Excellent work from VAR tonight. The three-minute silent interlude generated more atmosphere than the pre-match light show and deafening DJ. Um, uh, West Ham looked pretty good in this second half. And Johnny, they probably, if either side was going to win it, they should have won it. Yeah, I mean, I th- you said in, the, in your intro that, that Spurs kind of clung on. And I, I think they, they, they sort of did. I, I, West Ham sort of blew out uh, about kind of 80, 85 minutes. And actually, yeah. for, the, for the end of it, I thought I thought Tottenham actually looked likely to score. That said, you know, probably a fair result. You know, for all the new signings that West Ham have made, that was pretty much I think apart from apart from Kara, I think that was basically their their side from from last year out, out on the pitch last night. And you know, it kind of showed they, they looked they looked a bit more um you know they, they looked a little bit more cohesive. I don't know whether it's I don't know whether whether it's coming together as such. I still think Moyes is is sort of on borrowed time and, and there is a little bit of a hangover from last season and the way last season ended. But yeah, it was I mean Spurs are one of those teams that that tend to bring the best out of West Ham, whatever kind of state they're in. And they certainly looked a lot better last night. Um, the touch from Antonio is so good for, for Suchek's goal, um, even if Spurs kind of stopped playing. It looked like a foul throw to me. I mean, maybe I'm just completely biased, but it did look like a foul throw. I mean, I, uh, listen, they're never, ever given, so I'm not complaining about it. I, it I, I think it you Antonio's are a touch. little bit. <laughs> I, I can't <laughs> say I noticed, but... I am complaining about it slightly, but like West Ham fully deserved the point there. Spurs are weird, aren't they, Jordan? Because... When they break, like the goal they scored last, last night, and they break with pace, they are pretty scintillating for like 10 seconds. But for most of the game, and bear in mind I got up quite early to watch this game, it is just watching Eric Dyer pass to Davidson Sanchez and him pass it back again. It's sort of like England in the 90s, you know, like, like what, or the 2000s. Like, what's happened? Like, is there a plan B? You sort of think if you sit deep, they're just not quite good enough to break you down. They don't have anyone who can really pass the ball that well. Kulisevsky is obviously brilliant, but like they don't have, yeah, maybe Benson Kuhl, who wasn't there, can do it. But they just feel a bit stodgy. Yeah, they, they do feel stodgy. And I think that they can only get away with the, but we're getting wins and we're getting points for so long. I, I don't subscribe to the cliche that sign of a good team is one that doesn't play well and wins games. I, I, I don't buy into that. I think one or two games you can get away with it, but you don't win anything by not playing well. You have to play well at some point. And I don't think that they are consistently playing well and I think they will need to find that person we'll see today if they sign anybody in the transfer window it's unlikely that can be that that unlocker of doors that can break down teams because you can only rely on Son and Kane to do something magical for so long before before that does become a problem I, I'm really interested by Perisic he's 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 the most Antonio Conte player I think I've ever seen like his influence the last two or three games is really growing and he's just very very robotic and he gets to the byline somehow chips it in, and it's normally, you know, a, a, a header on goal. And I think that that sort of player, wing-back where he plays, um, is is so, so Conte. And I, I just I just can't think of a player off the top of my head right now that is so in, in the embodiment of their manager and, and, and the role that he knows he has to play and he does it, he does it so well. But yeah, they, they, they need to up their levels a little bit if they're going to push my lot. I enjoyed David Moyes saying he admires Antonio Conte, quote, because it's not about style. He's only interested in winning. That's a nice backhanded compliment there. Um, <laughs> Antonio Conte was furious, Johnny, with the VAR for not giving that penalty when the VAR, I think, was completely correct. 
to not give that penalty, even if it did take quite a long time. Have you got any further thoughts on on sort of Tottenham? Well, just that um, I think it's 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 impossible. Anyone who says they know how it's going to go from here is 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 probably you know uh, making a bit of a leap because we we know what Conte can do with the side. We we know how Conte teams build into a season. He's done it pretty much everywhere he's been: Chelsea, Inter Milan. That his his teams don't often start well. Um, but as they kind of as they gel, as the kind of the automatisms uh, start to 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 to, to work and, and they get drilled, they they grow into the season and, and then you know that they can go on a run. That can easily happen. But you know, like Jordan said, you'd probably if you're a Spurs fan, you'd probably rather they were playing well. You'd probably rather Ibra Sumo, who, who came in last night, didn't spend ninety minutes just passing the ball back to the guy who had just passed it to him. I think he, I mean effectively all he did. I didn't I didn't watch all, all ninety minutes, but I didn't really see him do anything else. And Son obviously is a big concern for them. And I think Rashala should should be coming in for him, but I don't think he will. Um, so yeah, I mean there, there were problems there. Antonio Conte, I think he's well within his rights to be furious about the handball decision, but I don't think he's well within his rights to go in front of TV cameras and accuse the referee and the VAR official of, at best, incompetence and, at worst, corruption when they have made the correct decision. He'll get a fine that won't really matter. But the thing is, supporters take their lead from that and then they vent their fury at the injustice of it all or the perceived injustice. And that's why certain areas of the game around officialdom are as toxic as they are now. So I think managers need need to do better on that front. Mm. And I just don't quite understand. I know that, you know, it all covers over perhaps them not playing well. They're not going to like, is it Peter Banks? He's not going to go, I've just heard Antonio Conte's not happy. I'll go out and give the penalty like an, half, an hour later. It's just not going to change the results. Always so refreshing. When, so I thought Eddie Howe after last night was quite refreshing. Not complaining, just went, oh, it's just a sickening way to lose a football match. It's really depre- It's really annoying, but you have to take it. It was quite refreshing to hear a manner just sort of be quite reasonable. Uh, Bournemouth nil, Wolves nil. Alex said, a Wolves at risk of going down. A lot of talk saying they'll be fine, but they haven't won since April. They look woefully short of ideas going forward. Back um, yeah, on the face of it, you would say they, the football they play is excellent and they look too good to go down. But I think we said that about Fulham under Scott Parker and uh, they went down like a stone. Wolves just can't score goals. And again, last night, this was a game for familiar failings. They just seemed incapable of getting the ball on target. Uh, one, I've looked them down, missing five decent chances. Raul Jimenez responsible for two of them. Mateus Nunes, their new record signing, he he hit the bar, so I suppose maybe he was a little unlucky. And Daniel Podence had a, a header; he probably should have scored, cleared off the line. So the Wolves fans are not happy, and they've booed their team off in the last two games. So make of that what you will. Uh, tonight, Leicester, Manchester United. Uh, we'll touch on that on Monday in the Premier League. Merseyside derby, early kickoff on Saturday uh, is probably the biggest game of the weekend. Manchester United, Arsenal on Sunday as well. And that'll do for part two. You and Murray will join us in part three for a proper fit bar corner. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, let's do a proper fit bar corner with you and Murray joins us. Hey, mate. Good to be back. How are you all? Um, yeah, really good. Just wanted to talk, spend some time talking about Celtic and Rangers, both in the Champions League. Old firm on Saturday with a couple of points between them at the top of the league. Is, is, is Scottish football good, Ewan? <laughs> Steady. Um, I think this is a very interesting game because I think they're, although I think Celtic have the edge, I think the two of them are pretty evenly matched. The fact, as you said, they're both in the Champions League adds an extra dimension to the season. The broader question about the state of Scottish football, I'm still pretty sceptical about that, but I think it's quite right to look forward to this game on Saturday with um, you know, a bit of expectation. It's, a, it's an important game. I think everything points towards these games being hugely significant if they're not normally, certainly this season in the context of the, the title. And, um, and I'm looking forward to it. I think it should be a good game. Um, uh, Rangers was really impressive in Eindhoven. I think, you know, that's... I watched that game and I really thought they, they played very well. And again, the, not many people gave them a lot of hope in. Um, how, can they push Celtic? And how impressed with Van Bronckhorst have you been? Well, they can push Celtic, yeah. Van Bronckhorst is strange. I, I remain... The, the jury's still out as far as I'm concerned. You, you cannot ignore that they they did fantastically well in getting to the Europa League final last season. But this was a team that was, I think I'm right in saying, six points clear at the, at the turn of the year in the in the Premiership in Scotland and didn't win the league. Celtic Celtic turned that round. Now, you could say that one played a part in the other. Perhaps European exertions hurt them in the league. But, but you know, to, to give up that advantage when they were the defending champions, they were in a position of strength. Celtic under Postacoglu, although he, he hit the ground running, they were in a, a period of transition. I still think that's a black mark against Rangers and Van Bronckhorst that probably wasn't um, given much attention because of what they did in Europe and they were rightly placed for what they did in Europe. So I think this is a very important season for, for Rangers domestically to see if they can, you know, what they have to show is that this, the season where they did win the league and stopped Celtics 10 in a row wasn't just the exception, wasn't just the blip season out of the last however many. And and I think we still have to see if that's going to be the case. Um, Postacoglu is pretty impressive man as I interviewed him on Monday for Australian TV I mean they're absolutely obsessed Australian mm. soccer fans are obsessed with Ange Postacoglu and like at the start I was like come on it's just a bloke but actually like he's so articulate and he gets it so much that I kind of I'm starting to get obsessed with him as well yeah I mean I've made this point before but what I really like about him is he, he doesn't get involved in any of the nonsense in Glasgow he doesn't he doesn't kiss badges he doesn't annihilate referees he doesn't play games in the media, and and it's very easy to get... Now, to be fair, Van Bronckhorst is exactly the same, but to be fair, it, it's very easy to get drawn into that trap, especially as, as you know, Van Bronckhorst at least had played at Rangers and would understand the, the, the kind of lie of the land. Postacoglu has come in fresh and has just stayed true to himself, and he hasn't engaged in some of the nonsense or, or you know, hype or drama or, or daft games that go on in Glasgow, and, and I admire him for that. He's just got on with his job. He's he's done it very well, and and you know I'm sure we'll touch on it, but I'm, I'm 
I'm going to be fascinated to see how he does in the Champions League this season. Obviously, a completely different level, and and he'll be keen to to stamp his mark on that that kind of platform as well. Um, well, let's ask you about that. Uh, um, Mick says Celtic will make Carlo's other eyebrow lift with the shock of how amazing Ange Ball is. Football emoji, shamrock emoji, shamrock emoji, three-one Celtic, etc., etc., etc. Quite objective view, but it is. I mean, home to Real Madrid is such a brilliant tie for them in the first game. And, and it will be fascinating. Real Madrid don't start Champions League campaigns that quickly. It doesn't tend to matter. They'll win it in the end. But, like, mm. Celtic could do something. Yeah, and this will be a keenly anticipated game because for all the, you know, in previous seasons in Scotland, Celtic and Rangers have played, obviously, a lot in the Champions League, but never against Real Madrid. Barcelona have been routine visitors to, to Glasgow, Manchester United, Milan. We've seen almost all of them, but not Real Madrid. Um, I think it might. I think it's fifty years, perhaps, since Celtic played Real Madrid, and Celtic beat them. I'm pretty sure the last time, forty-two years. So, so it's a, a kind of widely anticipated fixture for those reasons as well. I touched on it. I, I'm intrigued to see how this Celtic team, which you know can dismantle sides in Scotland with not quite ease, but they can they can do it regularly. I'm intrigued to see what happens when they when they step up a level if they if they adapt the way they play. If they can be more pragmatic or defensive, or if they just, you know, Ange Postecoglou, the way he works is that, you know, they work and work and work on Plan A, and if Plan A doesn't work, they do it better. So I remember Brendan Rodgers got quite a lot of criticism when he was at Celtic because he adopted pretty much the same philosophy in Europe, and Celtic were tanked by a lot of the better teams. So Postecoglou's approach will be will be very very interesting starting next week. Um, players wise for Celtic, who do you think can step up? Who are you most interested to see making that? Uh, Kyogo uh, Furuhashi the, the, the Japanese forward who I think is fantastic and, and uh, I get criticised for saying this because I'm accused of selling the best players but I remain slightly surprised that a team even already from England in the Premier, Premier League hasn't come in and tried to buy him his touch is sublime his movement is sublime he can score goals but but again this is part of it this is a different level for him he, he's come from the A-League in Japan you know he, he's lit up Scottish football so, so let's see how he does against better opposition. And I'd be, I'd be certain there are, again, I get criticised, richer clubs, if not bigger clubs than Celtic, watching how Kyogo does in, in the Champions League environment. Uh, they're also in with RB Leipzig and Shakhtar, who mm. um, will play their home games in Poland. You know, they were in pot four, but given that Shakhtar have lost so many players, they, you know, third should be what they should achieve. But but they could... Do you, do you think they'll go in hoping they can pip Leipzig or for that second spot I think Celtic would take the not unreasonable attitude if Rangers can see them off after two games Celtic are capable of beating them the, the, the warning sign for Celtic is Bodo Glimt hammered them last season really in the, in the last set of European games that, that Celtic played um, and this is a new environment for a lot of the players the Champions League is going to be fresh I, I worry about Celtic defensively against well I don't worry it doesn't cause me sleepless nights but I, I would um, have question marks over Celtic's defence against better teams so that that's where I would maybe have an area of concern for them. But, you know, it, it, it's new. Third place, I think, would be an excellent return. But probably, again, having looked at what happened with Leipzig last season, it's not crazy or unreasonable for them to at least aim for a second. Uh, Rangers are in with Liverpool, Napoli and Ajax, which it's mm. just a perfect Champions League group, that, isn't it? Yes. Uh, I, I do laugh at this. Traditionalists, it's a fantastic. I mean, as if the Champions League's been in existence for 100 years. Yeah, they're, they're, I think I think the point is they're all big clubs, yeah, and and yeah, I mean it's big and there's you know there's sort of it's a it's a good variety. It, it 
it like ticks lots of boxes in a sort of purest sense. But I take your point. No, no. And the, the England Scotland thing is always fascinating. Um, and I, I think and my sense always when these games come around is even people who, or, or some people who don't support or have much love for Rangers, um, will end up getting irked by by kind of what they'll see as dismissive tones from south of the border. The games against Liverpool. So there's always a slight um, grudging support for Rangers doing something against a, a big English team. So that'll be fascinating. Napoli, yeah, they, I mean, they'll be great games. And, and Rangers, you know, the bigger picture with Rangers, they waited a long time to, to get back into this Champions League platform after the 10, well, it wasn't 10 years of turmoil, but they had a few years of turmoil in the middle of getting back to, to winning the Championship, getting to the Europa League final. And they'll see this not unreasonably as a further step in their kind of um, journey back to, to being a, a big and prominent on-the-pitch football club. So so this carries broader significance for, for Rangers, I think. And you're right, they... They fully deserve to beat. I mean, it was a comedy goal in Eindhoven that they got them through. But after that, PSV did not trouble Rangers. A PSV team who had been really doing very well, they, they didn't trouble Rangers at all. And, and they fully deserve to be um, in this environment. Uh, while we've got you, Hearts have started okay, haven't they? Uh, that's a bit of a sore point this morning. Oh. I've just been bundled out the League Cup, which they haven't won since 1962. Next. Who bundled <laughs> Who bundled them? <laughs> uh, Kilmarnock. Oh, oh, that's why Andy said, would Kilmarnock win the league if they move all their games to Tynecastle? Um, <laughs> but, you, but I mean, you've started the league pretty well, but you don't necessarily think you'll be able to keep up the pace, right? Hearts uh, have started the league fine, but they've got a batch of injuries and, and they're in this unknown territory of playing um, what is Conference League football. So it's, you know, a lot of Thursday, Sunday game schedule weeks, which they aren't used to. And it's, it's going to take them a bit to adjust. If Hearts can get within touch, I would say, touching distance of third place, the time the World Cup break comes around, they'll, they'll be doing pretty well. A, a question on um, the Live Golf Tour, which obviously you're oh, coming no. with the golf correspondent oh. as well. No, 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 no. It's, 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 football, it's football related, which is just like, have you, because it's quite interesting when we talk about when somebody mentions the golf who doesn't follow football goes, why aren't the footballers getting any shit? And when you, the foot, anyone who follows football who doesn't follow golf says, why are the golfers not getting any shit? Do you think they're getting similar amounts? How, how, how do you view it in terms of what, you know, Newcastle United have had to deal with questions-wise compared to the golfers? That's a good question, Max. Very good question. And an interesting subject. Thank you. Interesting subject. Um, I think, historically, golfers really get no criticism at all. Golfers have lived a charmed life. And, and I make this point to, to golfers because I, I know a lot of, um, well, reasonably high-profile football players who live their lives in the, quite often the front, if not the back pages of, of newspapers and the, the scrutiny and criticism they get normally is way different to what golfers ever receive. So what's happened now is golfers have had, I would argue, not unwarranted and not unreasonable levels of criticism for jumping over to, to live. And golfers have gone, well, hang on, what, what's going on here? Because they're not used to that. It, it hasn't happened to them before. I think that's what's happened. And I also think a key distinction is a football player at, at Newcastle United, to a major extent, cannot determine that he plays for Newcastle United if a club wants to sell him or not sell him you know he, he's an employee of a football club whether he's sold to Newcastle or wants to leave Newcastle that's not really up to him golfers are different I mean it's entirely in a golfer's own gift to decide you know where they want to play when they want to play so they have made this decision off their own backs and also you know the, the key point they're already largely multi multi-millionaires who have, who have you know just jumped for even more money which people find a bit tasteless so I think there is crossover but I think there's a key difference in terms of what footballers can reasonably do 
and what golfers have chosen to do. I think as well, um, footballers aren't getting as much jeep as golfers because they take Matt Target, for example. He signed for Newcastle. He wasn't signed for a preposterous amount of money and he's not. He's getting the going rate wages-wise for a well-paid Premier League left-back. So it's not like he's being paid f- 10 times as much money to to play in a league that has nothing to do with the Premier League or to play in a league with other footballers who aren't as good as uh, most Premier League footballers. So, Although that's increasingly less the case now in Liv because they're getting some big, big names. I do, I do think, Barry, I do think Eddie Howe is actually different, though. I mean, he, he as an out-of-work manager, who, funnily enough, crossover could well have gone to Celtic but he had a choice as to where he was going to go and work and, and you know this was going to be the first managerial appointment of this new regime at Newcastle he did have a, a fundamental choice to make and I don't think he has ever explained that anywhere near adequately so I, I think he's a bit different but the players themselves I think you know I, I would be uneasy with people laying into them I think I think their situation's not quite the same as any live golfer uh, Thanks for coming on Ewan always nice to talk to you Chat to you soon, hopefully. Have a lovely day. Uh, you and Murray there, um, our Scottish football correspondent. Uh, James says, are we all excited for transfer deadline day? How many players will Chelsea buy? Yeah, they've, uh, they've got Fafana. Um, they're in perhaps for, well, Neymar, Edson Alvarez, Aubameyang, um, Rafael Liao. It's sort of insane. I-, I should ask Johnny a question since your audio is now in good quality. It's worth you saying something in this part <laughs> for this podcast that we can hear. What do you make of tra- Chelsea's... I mean, we, we will find out. They may not get none of these people. I think Aubameyang looks likely. That's what people are saying now. Yeah, and, and apparently I mean, Guardiol, um, yes, Guardiol at, um, at Leipzig is another one that, that they've been linked with. I was, at the, I was at the Southampton game on Tuesday night and watching them try to break Southampton down in the second half, what struck me most of all was that the thing they, didn't, like, they do not need is another, you know, another player to throw into that... To that mix, that I mean, they, they are incoherent enough. They 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 look as though they don't they don't know each other. They look as though they've never played with each other. They look as though they've they've been signed, kind of almost at random by by sticking a pin into a into a, a list and and that that's the way they play because that's that's almost how that squad has been assembled. What they need is is time on the training pitch. What they need is you know some some games together. Um, and it, like the last six months at Chelsea have been so so turbulent for so so many different reasons they all kind of look a little bit shell-shocked by it and yet what you know what what Todd Bowley his his vision for Chelsea is to kind of to create this this rolling entertainment product where you know almost along kind of Manchester United lines where you know you sign the best and you sign that you know you sign the best every every window you know if you, if you you have to pay over the odds for them you will make it back in the end and that, that you know that appears to be the way that he's he's approached this transfer window, and it may well work out for them in the long time that there is enough money and there is enough there is enough will behind that project that they will eventually kind of financially bully their way to to, to being a decent side at some point. But they are they are nowhere near that at the moment. They are they are just so they're so flaky. Tuchel pointed this out, like you know that he said they needed to toughen up. He said like we, we, it's too easy to bully us, and that's the sort of thing that new players just don't you know. They don't solve that problem. That's culture and that's that's standards and that's mentality. 
Uh, well, look, we will find out who buys who and we'll talk about it on Monday if it's interesting. Stu says, Preston are the story, the only unbeaten team in the championship, the only team in the four leagues not to concede a goal. Uh, another, you know, they've had nil-nils apart from two one-nil wins this season. They won one-nil at Coventry. Um, it is extraordinary. He does say, I know you mentioned Preston for 30 seconds the other day, but it's pretty bonkers and unique. Or just reheat, rehash the usual Premier League chat. Well, if you've got this far, you'll notice that's exactly what we've done. Um, we don't have a lot of time left. Uh, John says, Max, cheaters aren't part of the big five. They're basically like Spurs joining a Super League and claiming there's a big six. My apologies to, what, lions, tigers, rhinos, elephants, and... What's the other one? The leopard? Is the leopard in the big five? Well, someone will tell us. Um, and uh, just uh, uh, someone noticed it was, the, it was the hustings, you know, uh, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak doing their last kind of, can I be, be prime minister? And I sent a tweet going, I was wondering who, who could possibly want to go, you know, like, even if you really love them, do you have so much time to go to sit in an auditorium and hold a, you know, Liz for leader, Wembley uh, Arena. It was, it was in Wembley Arena. <laughs> Wembley, was it? Was it really? It's all, wow, that's tremendous. God, we, could, we couldn't fill Wembley Arena, could we, Barry? Oh, we, could do, we could do the O2, but we couldn't do Wembley Arena. Oh, I don't think it was remotely full. Oh, anyway, but somebody tweeted me, Paul, and I imagine it's a lie, but it was very funny to say. I, I saw one saying, Rishi, can I have your shirt? After the speeches, please, which is bringing some football <laughs> fandom into political hustings. Um, so thanks for that, Paul. And that'll do for today's podcast. Um, thank you, Jordan. Thanks, mate. Uh, thank you, Barry. Thanks, Mac. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian. <laughs> 